Welcome to the Designer Up podcast, helping you level up your design and development skills. I'm your instructor and host, Elizabeth Alley, and this is the first episode in our Mindful Design and Interaction series. Today, we're talking about mental health, particularly how it manifests in tech and about the stigmas and myths that prevail amongst high-functioning individuals as well as diverse populations. Our guest today is Dr. Mun Seichow. Dr. Mun is a mental health professional from the Bay Area and a dear friend of mine. In her 12 years in the mental health field as both a clinical psychologist and social worker, she has helped individuals to uncover and change unwanted patterns and behaviors and unlock their full potential. Her background and lived experience as a child of refugees has motivated her to work with diverse populations, particularly people of color, children and adolescents, and women in professional roles. She advocates for mental well-being against the pervasive myths and stigmas that often affect these populations. Moreover, she aims to illuminate the importance of self-care, especially for those that are considered high-functioning and may not consider or think to attend to their mental state of health. You can learn more about Dr. Mun and her practice at drmun.com. That's D-R-M-U-N-N.com. And follow her on Instagram at dr.munn. Dr. Mun, thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us today. So Dr. Mun, tell us, how did you get into the field of psychology? Okay, that's a hard question, and the reason why it's a hard question is because, um, you know, I have to think about sort of, uh, like, who I am, and I think that question, like, who are you, and, like, how did you evolve is, like, a really big question, right, and so how did I get into the field of psychology? I have to go back to ask that question of, um, who am I? Yeah, it's a huge arc yeah. to cover, but like, right, right. was there an impetus or maybe a moment yeah. when you decided um, or were thinking about a career or what you right. wanted to do or your purpose? You know, it's funny because um, I don't know if I necessarily had the vision of becoming a psychologist, So, um, but what I did know is that I was always curious. Like, I was the kind of child who always asked why, right? why this why Mm -hmm. that like what i'm seeing like why that and so when i think about my childhood you know i just saw a lot between my own between my family like my parents and Mm -hmm. just like dynamics and noticing that there was just a lot of anxiety um and i didn't know at the time back then that it was anxiety but there was a lot of conflict and i always wanted to know why and what's going on and, yeah. and uh, what's precipitating that right so so the question of why never left me and that sort of kind of persisted and um, in me wanting yeah. to have answers for things about how people f- like come to be who they are right right and so um, so it was like the nature of things that you were right. curious about, right? right? right. Their or- origination of these right. things. Like, but that's that's some really good insight because you noticed yourself asking that right. when you were younger, and that was really the way that you thought and saw the world uh-huh. is looking for answers, exactly, looking for reasoning right. behind actions and behaviors and the things that you saw right. around you. So tell me about that. Like, 
what was your upbringing? What was your family? What's your background? Like your <laughs> oh, you want to go right background. in, Liz? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's. Yeah. So like, I think one of my earliest memories that I have of um, my parents interacting, and you know, I grew up in a pretty high conflict household, so there was always tension. My parents were always stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was just um, a lot of worries. You know, yeah. a lot of worries. And I, I saw this and I witnessed it, but I, I couldn't understand what was going on. I just knew inside my heart and my gut that something wasn't right. And I remember when I was very young, I think it was probably five around this time. And, you know, back then, um, this is like what, if I was five, like early 90s, um, the way in which my family communicated with uh, the rest of the family in Laos was through videotapes. So they would record. Like rather oh, than wow. write letters, oh, wow. they would yeah. record narratives about their day to day life. So it was like early FaceTime. Yeah, like sort of. And then video like, chatting. Yeah, <laughs> you're recording on cassette, right? Oh, cassette. audio. Okay. Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh. Cassette. And yeah. then you send it over to Laos and who knows how long oh. it takes. And so that was the way in which they exchange. That's how they stayed connected with family. That's amazing. And Laos. And I remember, you know, my parents recording and they both did it my dad my mom yeah and on the recordings like they would just weep wow yeah just weep my mom would weep my dad would weep and i would sit there outside of like the door you know the the door and i would watch and listen and i didn't know what was going on but i could feel their pain like i felt it in my gut and in my belly and Right. You know, and like seeing my parents in that state of like suffering uh, was so hard for me yeah. at the time, being yeah. so young. And um, and I was generally a very sensitive child. So like mm-hmm. I was very responsive to the different feelings yeah. that my family were going through. So if they felt something, I felt it. You have that empathic quality. Right, right. Yeah. And so that was... Um, you know, just a yeah. quality about me, I think. Right. And and I was highly impacted by them, yeah. right? Because I was so sensitive and I would take in. Yeah. And that I would hold that in my body, in my heart, in my yes. mind. And that then that actually began to impact me. So as a child, looking back, like I was a pretty depressed child and a mm-hmm. very anxious child. And at mm-hmm. the time, I didn't know where that was coming from or what yeah. was going on. But, but like looking back, I took in a lot of what my parents and my family were experiencing. Yeah. And part of the reason why they were so stressed is because, you know, they're refugees. Yeah. So tell us like um, about what is your, you know, yeah. your background, like your heritage, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am Yumian. That's like the formal name. Um, or Mian. So Mian or Yumian. And I'm also Kamu as well. But I identify more with my Mian heritage. Um, that's the language that I speak. So Mian is my primary uh, language, my first language. Right. Um, and so, you know, my parents are refugees from Laos. Uh, and during the Laos Civil War, uh, they had to flee their country. Yeah. So they yeah. traveled 10 days, you know, by foot, like really just kind of on a whim to... Uh, the refugee camps in Thailand, oh and gosh. they just took what they could carry, which was 
the kids. So let's see. So there's seven of us. So it's like we've big family, right? <laughs> Three of us were born here in the United States, and they and the four oldest were born in Laos and Thailand. Uh-huh. And so um, at that time when they were traveling from Laos to Thailand, they were. Um, the three oldest siblings so three kids my parents had three kids at that time mm-hmm. and my you know my i think like my dad had like one of the kids you know in front my mom did and then like they had rice on the back yeah. right so they were just carrying whatever they could carry is what they brought with them yeah. and so 10 days they just fled and um, they traveled by night i think was yeah i think they traveled by night and then during daytime they just sort of camped out um, so they just, you know, yeah. didn't know what was going to happen. And um, I can't imagine the incredible worry, yeah. the burden that they brought For along sure. with them, like, mm-hmm. and how that does not leave you. That that's a traumatizing experience right. that, you know, yeah. and it's a mentality yeah. and it's a perception that you see the world with from that point on, you mm-hmm. know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's a heavy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see where their tendencies would right, <laughs> come from right, and right. what that environment would have, would have been like. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and when they got to the refugee camps, they were there for several years. Wow. You know, really? until they could get sponsorship to come to the United States. And they didn't know English. And yeah. they couldn't read or write. Uh, and when they were able to come here... My parents first landed in Southern California, and then my sister was born shortly after. So my mom was pregnant yeah. when she was traveling. Had wow. my sister, oh my gosh. yeah, who's a year older than me, and then shortly after had me, and then moved up to Northern California where the rest of our family were. Yeah. So they went to where community was. Right. She sounds like an extremely tough, resilient oh, woman. Yeah. That is my mom. She wow. is so tough. Like, wow. She's so tough. It's crazy how I definitely get that from her. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so that was on their mind, and yeah. like I think about the kind of work that I do now. I'm like, oh, why? Why am I doing like trauma work? Right. Yeah. There's something about me and my history yes. which pulls me in that direction. Like right. at the time, it wasn't very conscious. But when I look back and reflect on sort of how do I sort of land where I land, it's like it's everything that I went through to influence me to get me to where I am right now. Yeah, and so, exactly. um, yeah, my parents, they just suffered, even siblings, through tremendous trauma, even to this day where, like, it affects them. Yeah. You know, it's, it hasn't been processed. Right. And I see that and I hear these stories mm-hmm. from immigrant families mm-hmm. from... Um, people who have gone through those similar situations Mm -hmm. and like you know it was a similar story with my family's background Mm -hmm. like they're from Mm -hmm. Guyana they were the Indian people were originally brought there as indentured servants Mm -hmm. from India Mm -hmm. and from Africa so there was a mix of blacks and browns Mm -hmm. in that background and then um, it was uh, it was a hard life and when they came here, I mean, in Guyana, they didn't really have much of anything. Mm-hmm. It was a very, like, Amazonian jungle kind mm-hmm. of lifestyle. And coming here and having or the ability to have things, they still hoarded things. They mm-hmm. still had this feeling mm-hmm. of lack. They were always right. coming from a feeling of lack. Right. Because that's what they knew. And um, anxiety and worry, like, mm-hmm. lots of worrying over mm-hmm. things that, you know, uh, they can't control or, you know they don't understand Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. like in your in your experience with you know 
diverse populations, mm-hmm. with immigrants and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. How, how do you see them viewing mental health issues? I know there's so many stigmas. Mm-hmm. There's so much resistance mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think makes it so difficult for them to look mm-hmm. for help or to even mm-hmm. consider that that is an option, right. that you can take right. care of your mental health or mm-hmm. it should be addressed? I think in a lot of cultures, um, uh, mental health isn't even a thing, for, back, for lack of a better term. Like, it's not, like, what is mental health? Like, that term doesn't even exist, right? And so then, when you're trying to promote something to um, an individual or a family who hasn't been brought up to even consider that, it's, it's hard to, I think, even have a narrative around that, right? right. So it's like introducing a new concept. And I think in a lot of cultures, like Asian cultures specifically, where, um, you know, they may, like, individuals and families may not report mental health symptoms like depression, sadness, but they'll report things like, I feel a lot of pain in my right. body, right? Yes. And so then it gets somaticized. So it's that's the other thing, too, is that, like, it's trying to find a common language, right? Yeah. So because... Uh, to some degree, all of us will experience depression at some mm-hmm. point in our lives. It's just how do we talk about it? And um, so if if we grow up in a culture where that's talked about, right, then it's normalized to a certain degree. So it's yeah. easier to kind of seek mental health services because sense. you've been exposed to it. But I think in many cultures, um, you know, it's like psychology. Like, what is it that like? Right. There is no psychology <laughs> in Niem. Like, what yeah. is that? So when so the other thing is like, how do I even explain my job to my family? Right. <laughs> right. And so the way that I do it, and this, it's like you can't translate it directly. But the way that yeah. I've explained it to my parents is that okay, so I am a doctor, and so what I do is I help people to like heal their mind and their heart. That's that's a great explanation. Right. And, their heart. Uh-huh. and then my parents get it. They're like, yeah. oh. And I, then I'll give examples. Like, for example, like if someone is grieving, experienced a mm-hmm. loss, and they start to feel sad, unmotivated. So my job is to help, you know, help them to get through that difficult time. Yeah. Right? And so then it's like, then that that's digestible. That's in a way where they can understand it and take that in. Like, oh, so you're trying to help people. Yeah, everybody goes through grief and loss at some point. That yeah. makes sense. As opposed to saying that like, oh, yeah, I'm a psychologist. And right, right? like nobody knows what that, I mean, not nobody. But like, yeah. it's like who, yeah, that term yeah. doesn't exist in every culture. Yeah, that high level concept does right. not necessarily exist or that role doesn't right. exist. And that is interesting because it is about finding a common language it's Uh about finding how to you know communicate that to someone on their terms how they would understand it and to normalize it right that like um everyone could benefit from mental health services i think it's very taboo in immigrant culture like Uh to even talk about your feelings on that level or to you know like that's just considered a weakness or you know you don't Right. You don't do that. Like, you don't complain. You don't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. there, there's so much about that that's just uh, unacceptable mm-hmm. to a lot of cultures. So mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, bringing that to light and saying, you know, we all experience these things. Mm-hmm. There are mechanics and methods in which mm-hmm. we can deal with them internally. Yes, absolutely. Um, 
I know like when I'm listening to you speak, like what comes to mind is just this idea of like crying, right? In terms of expressing yeah, emotion, right, right? right? So the way that like I'll explain it to parents sometimes is I'll say, you know, let's take the example of crying, right? Mm-hmm. Like people have their own ideas and notions about what it means to cry, right? Some people might say they're like, okay, if I cry, then it's a form of weakness, right? Yeah. And someone might say, oh no, when you cry, it shows vulnerability, it shows strength, right? Right. And, uh, and then I'll say, like, you know, there's a reason why we all cry. Like, crying is a human emotion. So that means that all of us have capacity to cry mm-hmm. and that all of us have feelings and that it's okay, but that there's something about the larger culture that sort of has influenced who can cry and who can't in what mm-hmm. situations. But just to, like, normalize it, actually, you have, you, you have tears. Yeah. You are, it's like, there's a reason. So yeah, you were just talking about how um, we all cry. Mm-hmm. It's it's something we all experience. Sadness. It's mm-hmm. a part of the human condition. That's right. And I think I wonder about these common emotions that we all mm-hmm. feel and and how we deal with them. I feel like my personal um, view of psychotherapy before I ever went to a therapist was that I have to be severely mm-hmm. you know um, distressed or have mental issues that I had a lot of um, stereotypes around mm-hmm. like abuse or you know um, serious depression really terrible crippling anxiety that sort of thing um, but that's not necessarily all Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. that, you know therapy is about and I think that we also have a stigma in society about what level of suffering we need to be in Mm -hmm. before we ask for help Mm -hmm. Um, what 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 would you call individuals like that and and what's your experience clinically with with that stereotype what's the stereotype again sorry just um That you have to be like severely uh-huh. mentally okay, ill, right, or just right, right. that barrier to uh-huh. seeking help. Uh-huh. If you're not, if you don't think your level of suffering is something that you need to be uh-huh. seeking help for. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I think the way I think about psychotherapy is very similar to the way I think about seeing a medical provider. Right? It's uh-huh. like all of us. I mean, it's recommended that we all see a medical provider like once a year to get a regular checkup just to make sure we're healthy and well and, you know, capable generally, right? And so um, that's also how I see psychotherapy too in a sense, right? Like in the way that we go to see a medical provider to check up our sort of biological functioning. And so um, there's a way in which because of, you know, some of the things that we talked about, stigma and so forth, where um, we don't seek mental health support to sort of check on our mental health, right? Right. It's like we attend to our body, but why are we not attending to our mind and our heart, yeah. right? And so um, I think that it's really important to uh, really get in touch with that part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, this can serve everyone like we all have a mind we all have feelings we have a heart we're impacted day to day we all have problems we all have issues and we would all benefit from seeking uh, support Absolutely. Um, and so just to have someone be present with us mm-hmm. 
to check in with us, to slow down, yeah. right? Yeah. To really pause and reflect on what's happening internally. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that everyone could benefit from that. So regardless of the severity of symptoms, right? right? Yeah. And so um, it would serve everyone. Yeah. And how do, you know, some of these, I know they sometimes refer to them as like high-functioning mm-hmm. individuals. Give us an example of who that might be and how you've worked with them right. in your practice. So tell me about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Flip the script. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I haven't had what I would consider uh-huh. like severe depression or severe anxiety but I've had moments of all of these things and I always thought that it was a weakness because Mm -hmm. I wasn't diagnosed with a Mm -hmm. a mental health disorder Mm -hmm. so if I couldn't figure out how to deal with this Mm -hmm. and I was just not doing a very good job Mm -hmm. of like you know figuring out my problems asking for help was admitting some kind of problem Mm -hmm. that I didn't think I had Mm -hmm. So it was also mm-hmm. that and just seeing it like I don't deserve therapy really because oh. there are people that mm-hmm. are really sick and yeah. I don't need to be taking up some therapist's time with the fact that I'm sad today right. because, right. you know, I failed an exam or whatever was happening uh-huh. at the time when I was in school. So mm-hmm. it was a, a combination of like, or I didn't want to spend money on mm-hmm. that. I needed to, you know, take care of my physical health more. Right. I think, you know, at least in the Western world, that is a real top priority, like Mm -hmm. our our physical fitness, Mm -hmm. our, you know, Mm -hmm. our diets, all Mm -hmm. these other externalized things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really want to, or think it was beneficial to look internally Mm -hmm. um, at that point, at least when I was younger and in Mm -hmm. high school. So um, I think, especially in my industry, in the tech world, we're all pretty in intelligent, you know, high functioning. A lot of us are building products Mm -hmm. or working for companies Mm -hmm. and um, dealing with so much on the inside that we hide and that we never talk Mm -hmm. about. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I flipped the script because I think (laughs) you are the perfect example of what a high functioning individual is, right? Totally capable, get things done, um, self-starter, intelligent reflective expressive right and you like live day to day and you have goals you complete your goals so forth yet at the same time there's a certain level of stress that you experience right in the day-to-day living yeah right and um so that's you know what a high functioning individual would look like you right Right, but so it's like you're doing generally well for the, for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. But then you might have some challenge in your life, Definitely. right? And it could be related to work, could be related to family, yes. medical stuff that impacts us emotionally and maybe interferes with some other aspect of our life, right? Yeah. And so then um, if we sought treatment, right? Seeing mm-hmm. a therapist, that person could help us in that specific area so that we can just improve overall in the rest of our areas. Mm-hmm. No, that's, it's, it's really true because until I started exploring that and seeking therapy for myself, I did not realize that some of these things that bothered me about my life or things mm-hmm. that I, I considered that kept happening to me uh-huh. were actually things I was attracting my, 
to myself based on patterns and patterns mm-hmm. that I couldn't recognize necessarily mm-hmm. uh-huh. um, and things that I was constantly doing or behaviors right. that I wasn't really um, putting under the microscope and then uh-huh. trying to you know um, intentionally and continuously practice on and I think one of the weirdest things I realized too was that I wasn't always really clear on the difference between when I was thinking something mm-hmm. and when I was feeling something. Huh. I, those two things had kind of become, mm-hmm. you know, conflated or mm-hmm. divorced mm-hmm. in certain mm-hmm. cases mm-hmm. because sometimes, you know, I would, you know, feel a certain way, but it was really just because I was thinking about it in a certain mm-hmm. way and mm-hmm. not, and changing my perception changed my feelings, changing mm-hmm. how I thought about mm-hmm. things. And I think these are just kind of mechanisms that we don't necessarily learn yeah. when we're yeah. younger. Right. And we don't um, prioritize them. Mm-hmm. We don't give them the proper attention or mm-hmm. weight that they need. Right. And Absolutely. things in my external world that I was blaming for certain uh-huh. you know, experiences that I was having changed when I started to change myself and my behaviors but it, it took someone helping me realize that before uh-huh. I could and then the external world sort of started to fall away or fall mm-hmm. into place mm-hmm. as it needed to mm-hmm. so um, it doesn't seem like it it doesn't seem like an active action that I think we're so used to going after and striving mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. in our in our you know modern busy mm-hmm. world but it does start to shape your reality. Mm-hmm. I agree. Even if you feel like you're having just run-of-the-mill everyday mm-hmm. stressors, mm-hmm. you can really benefit because you'll be surprised at if you think it's just an external thing, how much the internal can affect it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's how wonderful that you allowed yourself to experience that first off, like it takes tremendous courage to even seek out counseling, right? So That's if true. you grew up in a culture where psychotherapy doesn't exist or is stigmatized and you do it like just thinking about that step like yeah. you're I mean just the, the potential tension and yeah. internal conflict right oh, of yeah. what it means to seek out mental health services and you know Liz you did it and in the process you learn so much like you learn to differentiate thoughts with feelings and then you didn't mention behaviors but that's yeah, there too definitely right? all in and there. then thinking about the way in which you interact with the external world right and so it's like how that impacts you how you impact the external world that that yes. psychotherapy is so complex it right is. we go in there for one reason and then we leave like right. just with so much more than we had expected right yeah and so you went through this process of, of introspection where yes. it's like you slow down most people don't even do that like right. they don't even pause to think about what they just said or how that landed for someone else exactly. right so like if you are in psychotherapy like i applaud you because like yeah. the, again it takes so much courage to just sit there and face yourself oh you that know? is so true <laughs> it right because it's like that's what you're doing it's almost like the psychotherapist is like putting up a mirror and then like helping you to see things clearer it's so right? true and with that being said like i don't know about you but like for me when i look in a mirror it's like i start noticing these blemishes <laughs> right. these flaws and it's like 
why would you subject yourself to that, right? <laughs> right. And like, yeah, it's like things are like I don't know if I want to see all of that. Oh, right? exactly. I was like, do I want to yeah. dig up something? Like, I'm okay. I'm right. I'm fine. I don't need to go digging up any weird shit from my past. <laughs> but it's it's very true, right. and right. and it, that's that's such a good point. Right, right. And you know, and if we don't dig it up, right? If we don't have a, an awareness of where this is all coming from, it's like then things won't change. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so it's like then we find ourselves in these same patterns mm-hmm. of behaviors that are maladaptive, not adaptive. Yes. And then we're like, I don't know why things aren't changing. Why am I so frustrated? Right. And so it's like um, maybe it's it's maybe it's time to have someone just to kind of, you know, put a mirror up yeah. and just kind of reflect. And yeah. just like, let's just pause. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. So. I think, you know, we talk a lot about our achievements, like mm-hmm. at the gym, like oh, how many sure. reps we put in and how right. much we, you know, were able to do there. But I don't think anyone says like, man, therapy was like good today. Like I faced myself today. I right. lifted some heavy <laughs> thoughts and feelings. What about those uh-huh. things? What about those mental objects right. that we lift and push uh-huh. and like are able to you know, deal with. I think that's mm-hmm. just as fun and exciting and important. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, I want to help um, break that stigma that people can't talk mm-hmm. about this stuff or mm-hmm. that you're broken somehow because you're seeking mental health. Yeah. Help. Right. Yeah. And aren't we all broken to some degree? Absolutely. Right? That's, that's something to acknowledge. Too, right? Like we, we are, all got issues. We have. That's just part of us being <laughs> right. human. Exactly. So. Like we all got problems. We're all dealing with stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even if on the outside, like it just everything's going well, things just look amazing. But yeah. you never know what someone's going through internally. Exactly. Right? And I mean, obviously, you know, this is been said time and again but social media is a big you know um catalyst for like why that has been so pervasive in our culture Mm -hmm. um and i mean i think that we hear a lot of talk right now about like millennials being the burnout generation Mm -hmm. and we have you know issues with um tech addiction Mm -hmm. and all kinds of things that go along with Mm -hmm. that and you know as um a product designer myself um, being mindful of that is is really important because mm-hmm. we've seen kind of what happens when you aren't, when you're reckless with people's privacy and their data mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. make addictive products that cause, you know, kids to have anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and, and all of these other things. Um, so how, how do you think that kind of tech might be contributing to that or, or what we can do to kind of mitigate some of that that's happening mm-hmm. um, with social media and the internet and so to me the way I'm understanding the question is um, how does sort of the uh, how does that influence mental health yeah right and right. so um, in working with kids we're always on screens right yeah. like like what are the implications to exactly. that and so, and I don't know if I have all the answers, but just in terms of like, where I mentioned to you the other day that it, um, I think there's a way in which it can increase isolation. Mm-hmm. And ooh, the other thing too is just the increase of cyberbullying, right? right? That's a huge so, topic. So, um, and also the way in which people or or young people express. Um, their need for help it's like on social media yeah 
right? So it's like, it's not even necessarily through human contact anymore. Yeah. But there's a way in which we're more isolated, but yet also more connected. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and so, and I don't know what this all means, like long term, how this is going to affect the overall psyche, um, because I think as humans, we need to be connected to each other. Like there's something about sitting with another person right in front of them, having a conversation, sharing a meal versus sitting in front of a screen. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm all for, like, technology and, and all of that. And at the same time, it is very different to sit with another human being. Yeah. I think it's, it's about balance, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the more that tech, you know, permeates our lives, we do have to think about, you know, and be mindful of advocating for a human connection mm-hmm. for ourselves, mm-hmm. trying to get out, trying to connect right. with people. and. Therapy is a great way to do that in a really safe environment, a comfortable, supportive Uh setting. Uh And it's just one more way that we can connect, like not only with ourselves, but with another human being that can empathize with us. And yeah, I think that balance is kind of what you're hinting at, that Uh we don't really know. I mean, tech is actually helping us to be exposed to the ideas of mental health. I mean, we can look these things up now. and we can ask for help, Mm -hmm. we can find good therapists, and I think that's a benefit of technology, but definitely being mindful of, you know, the balance of how Mm -hmm. much we use it Mm -hmm. and how we use it and how we make products that affect people's mental health. Right, and does it take the place of human contact, right? Right. Because it's so easy to just get locked, because I'm like that, right? Easily just like sucked into, just content on yes. the phone or online right. and then it's like oh like who needs to check in or have coffee yeah right, right. like exactly. i just spent so much time just sort of like yeah following someone yeah. right so i think you said the term mindful and i think that's a really important um concept because we have to be intentional about connecting with others outside of the you know, social media, yeah. right? So we have to be intentional about turning off our computers. Mm-hmm. We have to be intentional about going on that walk outside, right? Yeah. And connecting with nature and, and be a human, right? Yes. And so if we don't make the time, then we just allow ourselves to be more isolated. Yeah. And then we become robotic. Yeah. You know, That's before true. you know it, it's like... It, it is amazing how that face-to-face connection enriches your spirit Mm -hmm. you know it enriches your energy on a different level like we could have easily conducted this interview over the phone yeah you know after you've just come off of an 11-hour shift Mm -hmm. in your Mm -hmm. clinical work but you made the time to come to talk to me face-to-face so that we can hug and and, you know and connect and just share a meal and then have a a real conversation and it's not easy and it does take, you know, conscious effort mm-hmm. to do, but it can really be worth it. And the mm-hmm. insights that you can gain from someone and the energy that you can get is, it can be really life-changing. Mm-hmm. It can change your day, you know? Yeah, so um, I know when I first got here, like you had made a comment about my energy and then I was talking about the client that I saw, like I just love working with this client right. and I, I get energized through the process. But I 
also felt something, and I didn't mention it because I think we just sort of reared off, which is yeah. that like I was excited to come see you actually, and so there was a lot of enthusiasm around seeing Liz. Yeah. So it's like so that also fueled my energy. Like uh, so, speaking to what we're talking about, which is like human connection. There's a way yeah. in which it's like something gets like transmitted, mm-hmm. you know, through just connection, human connection. And yeah. it's like this bouncing back and forth of energy that gets exchanged that may or may not necessarily get exchanged online. Yeah. So that's like yeah. very different. It is. It's, it's very different. It's different. And I think everything has its place mm-hmm. and its proportion and to be um, aware of it, mm-hmm. to try to always be aware of that, that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I have one last question for you, and that is just what is one bit of mental health advice that you think is really important in the times that we're living in right now? You know, if you could say something to kind of everyone out there, you know, especially the diverse populations and the high-functioning individuals and the ones that may not think to seek therapy, what, what, what mm-hmm. could you kind of leave mm-hmm. them with to think about? Um, I think we all could benefit from support like everyone needs help and it's okay at the end of the day yeah um and i I honestly think in my experience it can be pretty fun too mm -hmm. it it can really be interesting to kind Mm -hmm. of have these eureka moments about Mm -hmm. yourself you know it's just like discovering something and it, it can be quite interesting so i don't think it needs to be something that's scary either mm-hmm. or that you have to be mm-hmm. afraid of and um you know there's nothing wrong with just giving mm-hmm. it a try exactly giving it a giving try giving it a try yeah yeah i think um and and we deserve it that's the thing yes right? absolutely I think do. everyone deserves uh the opportunity to be listened to, to be heard, to be understood at the end of the day, like, I think that is what every human being wants. And so what a gift uh, I feel as a psychologist that I can give to all of my clients and their families. Absolutely. And it's a great gift to give to yourself and, Mm -hmm. and know that you're deserving of. So on that note, um, wise words from Dr. Mun. Thank you very, very much for Thank spending you, Liz. Your time this with was us. like fun and I love you, you know. I love so. you. All right. Thank you all for spending the last 40 minutes with us. If you enjoyed that, come back and check out more content like this as we continue our mindful design and interaction series. And if you want to learn more about the hard and soft skills of designing mindful products, sign up for our course at designerup.co.